Listeners, beware. You're in for a scare. Welcome to Slimehouse, a podcast rated PG for crude humor, outrageous hijinks, and mild language. I'm Dorothy. I'm Jasper. I'm Jared. I'm Nelson. And I'm Max. And uh, today we're joined by a special guest, my girlfriend and a, a real Goosebumps fiend, Dorothy. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thank for you for joining us. Here. Yeah. Is there a name for Goosebumps fans, like Deadheads or something? <laughs> uh, Gooseheads. <laughs> <laughs> there should be maybe Stein Steinheads. Yeah. Stein freaks. Yeah. Stein. Stein <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Um, Dorothy, are you part of the original Slimehouse group or the original Slimehouse nom- naming? I am. I was a witness to this creation. I was present at the um, lunch table after they'd come up with it in class. Oh, yeah, you were. Oh, you were one of the original crew. That was a limited group, like five people, the original Slimehouse crew, and you're part of the. <laughs> I watched wow. the list grow in popularity through the years and Max and I were always amazed by it and it blew my mind that you all reached out to him about it just started out as a little small friend group inside joke and turned out to be nationwide maybe worldwide <laughs> we do we do have we do have worldwide listeners we have Irish listeners we have Philippines listeners so hey thank you <laughs> you all from Ireland and the Philippines I yeah. think you actually were you added cat in the hat to the list which I think is crucial to the, the development of the genre I'd say my second biggest <laughs> love in the slimehouse genre is cat in the hat I'm a defender. <laughs> You'll have to be on our Cat in the Hat episode, for sure. Tell us anything else about that day, because I we've only heard Max's vantage point, so I'd be curious if there's any other cool details about the, the birth of the list. Well, I remember us teasing some friends or just like people around the school that we kind of knew from other classes and asking them like what their favorite Slimehouse movie was, and we didn't explain it to them. And most of the time, they'd either just, like, ignore us or they'd just, like, come up... Something about the name Slimehouse makes it obvious what the genre is. You don't have to explain it. Even to people, like, older that aren't aren't that familiar with these types of movies, like my mom and my grandma, when I explained this podcast to them, they kind of got an idea of, like, what type of movie would be a part of it. Yeah, that's one thing I love about it, is it, it almost feels like it already exists, and so I feel determined to make it <laughs> exactly that. Mm-hmm. It felt like a, like a scientific breakthrough, like part of art history almost, <laughs> because it felt like there was <laughs> yeah, a, finally a word. Does. It definitely gives like a legitimacy. My sister said, I'm glad you guys are doing research into a new topic that nobody's dealt, dove into yet. <laughs> I think that's why it stuck. It felt like more than like a joke. It felt like actually something that we can use to refer to a specific group of movies that hasn't been specified before, like put into a category. Yes, For sure. that's why I'm into it because I feel like it's a it's carving out something that exists but has yet to be labeled until now. All right, so since we're talking Goosebumps, um, this is a franchise that has a very deep history amongst especially people around our age. Uh, so what is everybody's personal connection to the series? Were you a fan of the book, a fan of the series? And if so, what were some of your, your favorite installments in those? Well, I'll go first. I remember doing like a book report or two on Goosebumps in early elementary school. I know in third grade, I did a book report on horror land so i remember the line from that book where i think they're at like a a stand in horror land trying to buy like fair food or carnival food and 
they think that there's this stand selling chicken fingers, but then the person running the stand is like, nope, just fingers. So <laughs> that's, that's what I remember the most. I'll leave it at that. That's very funny. So well, I so, might, something I remember about Horrorland that I think about a lot is there's a annoying younger brother in it, which is something that's pretty constant in the Goosebumps franchise. And his his annoying trait is he loves pinching his sister, pinching his friends. And at some point in the book, they describe him as a mad pincher, which I always, for some reason, that term saying my brother's a mad pincher just always stuck with me a lot. Oh, that's very funny. I don't think I ever read this particular book but it is by far my favorite of the goosebumps tv show and the part that i remember the best is the ending at some point the whole carnival is in on this conspiracy to mess with this family and they've attached a device to the car so that as they try to escape it's a remote control car that the bad guys can control and it ends with them pushing the car toward the edge of a cliff. So it's teetering and tottering and the family's like, ah, and then it cuts back to the villain and he looks at the camera and goes, now that's what I call a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends. <laughs> oh, very good. I've actually never read a single Goosebumps book, um, oh, which what? might be blasphemous. Um, it just, it wasn't my scene as a kid. Uh, I mean, I've definitely seen episodes of the show, but it wasn't really ingrained in my my memory. I was a big Are You Afraid of the Dark guy, actually, in, in terms of like children's spooky shows. But the thing about Goosebumps that I'll always remember are the covers, the book covers in the school library or at the book fair. So there's a few covers that really, really stuck in my, my memory. One of them being the cover, there's a kid who's like his head is attached to a giant bee. And I think it's called Why I'm Afraid of Bees. Yeah, that's, a, I, that's oh, an iconic Goosebumps <laughs> cover. <laughs> that one was always ingrained in my mind. And a couple others, um, Say Cheese and Die. It's classic. Where it's like a family barbecue where they're all skeletons. And then another one that's actually, it, I think might be the scariest is is. There's one where a rabbit is coming out of a hat. Um, it's called Bad Hair Day, but it's a super, super evil looking rabbit with these huge buck teeth. And it's kind of in that like high angle fisheye style that was really big in the 90s. So I, I remember the covers so, so vividly. Yeah, speaking of Bad Hair Day, that was going to be my biggest memory with Goosebumps series because when I was a kid, I was so obsessed with rabbits. They're my favorite animal. And... I thought I was all like scandalous and like adult mysterious for wanting to read Goosebumps at the school library. So I rented it and took it home. And I remember reading it uh, at my mom's work once and just being upset because I felt like it was a bad depiction of rabbits. I was offended. (laughs) (laughs) You thought it was poor representation. (laughs) Yeah, it was really horrifying. I mean, it's horrifying now. It's in the same vein of scary stories to tell in the dark Mm -hmm. illustration. Yeah, I definitely read that book. I I don't remember the story at all, but I do remember that cover. Yeah, me neither. That's why it's terrible. Yeah, building off what Jasper said about the covers, I I read most of these books, and I still mostly remember the covers. So I do think the covers might have a more important sort of cultural impact than any of the books do. But I did like these books, and especially the show, a lot. I would say 
My favorite was probably The Haunted Mask, which I actually just rewatched right before this. I just remember thinking, I remember one of my friends, I had a friend in elementary school who always like boasted about watching all these adult scary movies when we were in like third grade. He'd talk about how he'd seen Freddy vs. Jason and how he'd seen Texas, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and all these movies. But we invited them over to watch The Haunted Mask. And, like, halfway through, as soon as she got the mask, he, like, started crying and had to go home. And it's, it's just something that's always stuck in my mind. And, I mean, the Haunted Mask, definitely one of the grimmer of the Goosebumps. There's not really, it's a pretty, it's a weird episode, sort of a, like, more psychological episode than the other. So, maybe I don't blame his fear. Rewatching it, it might be scarier than Freddy vs. Jason. But that was always, <laughs> that was always my, my favorite episode and book. That should be the critic poll quote on the poster. <laughs> scarier than, than, yeah, scarier versus than Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> I'd say the haunted mask gets down more to the human condition. Yeah, than... it's a, it, uh-huh. it's a psychological episode. It's like a girl who gets bullied all the time, and she puts on this mask that lets her like stand up against her bullies. Kind of the same plot as Carrie, honestly, but much less graphic, but similar in its like themes. I never saw the show of that one, but I remember the. I read that book, and I remember that she wants a cool Halloween costume yeah. really badly. Her mom is going to make her a really dopey Halloween costume, but mm-hmm. that's part of the urge. She wants something cool and scary, and then she, it's like stuck with that forever, which is its own, yeah, very twisted horror, even as an adult, if you really think about it. Yeah, I like I like get claustrophobic with masks and watching it even just like earlier, it freaked me out that she couldn't get the mask off her face. Like that's just the scary idea. Is that the mask in the second Goosebumps, which we will discuss, that uh, overtakes Walter? Yeah, it was. Okay. Uh, that's, so that's that or, or, that, 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 that was okay. the mask from the Haunted Mask Two. Weirdly enough, like the old man mask from the Haunted Mask Two, is the one that's used in Goosebumps Two. I remember the haunted mask being like green in the in the book cover. Yeah, the book cover it's green. In the episode, it's kind of a grayish. Oh, but okay. yeah, in in the in the sure. book cover, it's definitely a very bright green, like same color as the the classic Goosebumps font. Well, let's dive into the actual Goosebumps film franchise. So the Goosebumps film franchise is obviously based on R.L. Stein's wildly successful series of children's horror novels that whether you've read them or not, you know them. Um, but the films kind of follow the discovery of R.L. Stein's collection of manuscripts that when unlocked, unleash all of these spooky creations that he's written about into the real world, including the Bonwell Snowman of Pasadena, the Werewolf of Fever Swamp, and most prominently Slappy the Dummy, who's a fan favorite in the in the franchise. Um, the series was actually developed by Sony Pictures Animation, which I think is really interesting because this is mostly a live action franchise. But there are so many animated characters in this that it's it's obvious that they would kind of have a hand in this. And it really kind of found solid success uh, for the first entry in 2015 that they then made a sequel in 2018, Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween. And it's headlined by slime star supreme Jack Black as R.L. Stein, and features a lot of newer slime stars such as Dylan Minnette, who um, stars in the very first one as the main character. And the first one was actually directed by, I think, a really, really key director in the Slime House movement, especially the later Slime movement, Rob Letterman, who also did Gulliver's Travels 
and Detective Pikachu, along with some early DreamWorks animation, Shark Tale, and Monsters vs. Aliens. But the first Goosebumps books, he's just kind of introduced to this world of R.L. Stein and all of his all of these books and tales that um, are of you know '90s childhood lore at this point. And that was released in 2015, which I think taps into the beginning of kind of a Slimehouse revival that has kind of started to brew in the last five years. I, I think of it, I, I had to turn Neo Slime for it. This is by far the latest entry we have covered so far. It's also going to be, because we're doing Goosebumps and Goosebumps 2, and so it's our first sequel that we've talked about, which is an important part of Slimehouse, of course, and movies in general. I think what's interesting for me was that this was, you reach a point where you think the Slimehouse movies are kind of dumb as a teenager or whatever, and by the time these movies came out, we're all probably, you know, we're all of adult age, and so you're able to look at Slimehouse in a very different way. And at this point, when I, I saw the first Goosebumps shortly after it came out, and I had never heard the term Slimehouse, but I, I was aware that it felt like a throwback, and it does feel like... After an absence of this type of movie, Slimehouse has come back with the first Goosebumps. There was a few movies around this era. Another one that I think of is Alexander's Terrible No Good Bad Day. They came out, I think, the year before. Um, that kind of that were moderately successful at the box office, not massive, but you know, surprisingly successful, and kind of ushered in like a a new wave of these movies that felt like throwbacks to what we watched as kids in the nineties, especially one thing I really do like about this goosebumps goosebumps revival and Slimehouse revival as well is that when I first saw this movie, it was in theaters. It was me and a good friend, Steven Mastercola, who's a Stein Stan himself. Um, and we both, I think we're the only two guys in the theater it was later in the movie's run. Nobody had really talked about it our age, but we saw it and we were both so pleasantly surprised at how gleeful and self-aware it kind of was. It felt so fresh. It wasn't it wasn't taking itself too seriously like some Slimehouse movies back in the day did when, you know, they were just kind of kids movies. But it felt like it was playing on a lot of these tropes. A lot of tropes it just kind of blindly follows, but there was a lot of tropes and themes that you see in a lot of these earlier 90s, early 1000s slime movies that Goosebumps kind of seemed to be turning on its head a little bit, which I really, really liked and was very pleasantly surprised when I first saw this movie. That's what I like about it is that I feel that it didn't give into the whole trend recently of like retro throwback. Um, parents will want to see this because they remember Goosebumps when they were a kid and it gave the perfect opportunity for that. But instead it went with what kids actually like, which is what the Slimehouse tropes are. So it was fun seeing it, you know, like all the parents in the room obviously not being excited because it wasn't the type of like do you remember goosebumps from when you were a kid here's a reference to this and this and like oh look how stupid this was it was actually pure kids movie slime house yeah because i remember when we saw this movie in theaters for sure like one of the noisiest kid audience so i've been in for a long time like the kids reacted audibly at even like the small jokes in the movie and it was just fun to be in the theater because I don't really go to see many kids' movies for the most part other than the movie, kids' movies that everybody sees, like the Pixar releases or whatever the big 
kids' movies are. It was just fun to be in the theater and hear kids reacting like how I remember everybody reacting when we go see, like, Good Boy or Max Keebles, just to see kids, like, <laughs> kids just, like, laughing their ass off at, like, the cheapest jokes in any of these movies was just fun. Well, I remember one of the kids during the first, like, 15 minutes of the movie when Zach is taking a box of belongings to move into the house, the bottom falls out and all the contents fall down on the ground. And all the kids started laughing and yelling, and one kid went, oh! <laughs> yeah, and it was just like, damn, it's nice to be in an audience where kids are reacting. Because I feel like that's something that, like, as a kid, I would have thought was funny. That, of course, now it's just, like, doesn't even register. Yeah, it's just like, oh, this guy's having a hard day, I guess. <laughs> I, I did write that down in my notes, so maybe I'm still a kid at heart. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was wondering while watching this, like, is Goosebumps as popular as it was when we millennials were kind of growing up in our early elementary school years because i i think of like the 90s as being the peak of the goosebumps phenomenon like i i guess i'm just sort of out of touch at this point but i was maybe y'all know more than i do like is it still as big as it ever was like say pokemon or some property like that i know that they re-released the books on a different cover i think in the last few years um mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem as present in culture as it was when we were kids yeah, I definitely, I worked at a bookstore briefly, like, f- about probably three or four years ago, and I'd say these books sold moderately, probably more than just, like, your average random, like, early chapter books, but they weren't nearly, like, something that sold on the level of, like, I don't know, uh, Harry Potter or something like that. They, like, they still sell pretty well, but I don't think they're nearly as big of an imprint on pop culture as they were at one point. When we were kids, they were like a Scholastic Book Fair classic. I had the $20 bill that my mom gave me, ready to <laughs> dish out on those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if I, had a time, if I had a time machine, I would go right back to the Scholastic Book Fairs of, of elementary uh, Yeah, those were like peak days in school. When you had that smell. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That's where Slimehouse was born. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I can even remember what shelf in the library. Like, I can close my eyes and go back to my grade school library and find the goosebumps shelf and the whole row of them. And there were so freaking many that I just, I remember it. It's amazing. And I, I wonder if kids even still read, but that's very cynical, you know, and, um, <laughs> yeah. I, let alone goosebumps. <laughs> For the heads, how closely does it adhere to kind of the goosebumps lore, both the first one and goosebumps two? Uh, just speaking for myself, like I was, I, I am a huge Goosebumps fan, particularly when I was younger, but it's not something I really hold as any sort of like sacred piece of culture that can't be messed with. So I enjoyed the movie a lot. I think it's like a fun throwback, particularly having Jack Black as R.L. Stein. I think is sort of the key piece of nostalgia that they put in there. But I do remember seeing when I saw this movie being a little bit disappointed that outside of Slappy, most of the monsters they featured were kind of generic monsters that also happened to be in Goosebumps books. Like, you had an Abominable Snowman, you had a werewolf at one point, you had a blob, which there are all Goosebumps books about those characters, but they're also sort of generic monsters. And I remember th- wishing they would have put some more of the distinctive Goosebumps characters in it outside of Slappy. I just remember particularly, like, I thought that 
uh, the haunted mask, there would be some sort of say cheese and die camera reference or something like that. Just have more stuff, which I know that just sounds like I'm begging for fan service because I do like the movie. But yeah, I remember being a little bit disappointed that they didn't have more of the characters. But I do think it's a good movie, probably the best adaptation the series could have since each book is sort of its own story. You can't really adapt them all together. Yeah, although I'm here as a Stein stan, I feel like I agree with Max. It's not super um, similar to the books or the original TV series even. Um, I'd say that kind of the outline of like a new kid comes to town and like meets this mysterious girl next door, like the first like 30 minutes are pretty goosebumpsy. But then I feel like how many monsters there are and how minuscule their effect is, just kind of that they add to the horde of monsters is really different than like in the books. It was different stories that were so specific to one monster and it seemed much more kind of dramatic for a kid rather than like kind of the humor and lightness that was a lot in this movie. It didn't seem as horrific, really. Yeah, something that I do think this movie it could have afforded to be a little bit scarier, but we can get into that a little bit more when we're talking about tone. But I mean, the Goosebumps books are pretty grim books, even though there's jokes. And this movie overall has a much lighter tone than the books do. I do think that the book needs to be, I mean, the movie needs to be comedic at least, but I think it could have had been a little bit, have a few more legitimate scares just to sort of give it the same edge as the book. I described this movie uh, in my Letterboxd review as the Monster Squad meets Adaptation, the Nicolas Cage movie, <laughs> but yeah. for like people stuck between Gen Y and Z. Yeah, I think that's actually a super good description of the, the way the movie handles the subject material as a whole. Yeah, I think the premise of Goosebumps 1 is brilliant in making R.L. Stein a canon character that kind of allows for all these characters to arrive. And like Max said, really Slappy and maybe the Invisible Boy are the only monsters that are given more than just kind of to them. Unfortunately, I think the second one feels like copy-paste, carbon copy, same thing where they had a real opportunity to say, okay, we made a banger of a Welcome to Goosebumps universe, and they could have serialized it, but they clearly decided not to serialize it and just to make a kind of soup of monsters that are all the same. Like you said, there's a clown, there's a whoever, but there's nothing distinctive in terms of how to beat these monsters, Where the only exception being Slappy, who's literally the head honcho in both movies, which, yeah, I love the first one. And prior to us doing this episode, I had only seen the first one and I held it in very high regard as Neo Slime. But the second one to me felt just retread city. Yeah, something I kind of think about the second one, a funny way to look at it is the first one is a better Goosebumps movie because it's just a better movie overall and sort of has more references for fans. I mean, R.L. Stein plays a much bigger role in the first one than the second one, but the second one feels more sort of like a Goosebumps story just because they, like, really don't bother explaining anything. Everything just sort of happens for no reason. It's just, and that's kind of how the Goosebumps books are written. So the second one, I think, is a worse movie, but feels more like sort of a Goosebumps story in its own weird way. Two things I was thinking about. One, Goosebumps 1 ends on a pretty cool cliffhanger, in my opinion. And I was a little disappointed, without explaining the cliffhanger itself, that they didn't reference that at all. 
Um, and that kind of brings up to Nelson's point, like they didn't really try and serialize what they were going for in the first film. But I was surprised when Jack Black showed up in Goosebumps 2 because he wasn't like in the marketing or the advertising for it. I think because he was in another movie around the same time as Goosebumps 2 came out that is very, very similar called A House with the Clock in Its Walls. <laughs> um, so I thought he was just like, he passed on Goosebumps 2 to go work with Eli Roth, but no, oh, he, he was there. Um, and one thing about Goosebumps 2 that was really cool is that in the first film, Slappy is voiced by Jack Black. But in the second film, the voice actor they got for Slappy in Goosebumps 2 isn't Jack Black, but he sounds exactly like him. And it's really impressive. Yeah, yeah. his name is Mick Wingert. Mick Wingert, yeah. That's and he, he voices the Kung Fu Panda in, like, the Kung Fu Panda TV show. So he's a professional. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a professional Jack Black replacement. He's an understudy. <laughs> that's amazing. That's very funny. What if it's just Jack Black's, like, pseudonym? <laughs> yeah, he just has a fake name. He's been doing voices. So Jared hit something really interesting on the point. The I, too, was surprised to see Jack Black show up in Goosebumps 2 for more than just a voice. I literally thought he was just going to be on the phone and that was it. He's not credited <laughs> in the role, which must be some political jargon behind yeah. the scenes. But if you look at the IMDb trivia, it says Jack Black was not able to return for a large part because he was busy doing the other movie. Dylan Minnette was not able to return because he was busy doing 13 Reasons Why. And then Rob Letterman, director, was too busy doing Pokemon Detective Pikachu. So you suck all the original people out of it and they suddenly decide, well, okay, let's just stick in some new people and kind of make the same thing again. But I think it's fascinating that the Goosebumps series as a movie series, let's just look at it as like a movie franchise, almost couldn't get its legs going because all the key talent involved went on to do projects they cared more about after. Yeah, because I know this was originally meant to be a Horrorland movie and then was pulled to be the movie that we ended up with, which makes me think they may be kind of downgraded because they lost so much of the talent. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting that it seems like they kind of just seem sort of a thing. It's like we need to get a Goosebump sequel out we'll have to do this without anybody involved. Let's just come up with like a retread instead of doing a Horrorland movie. Yeah, and this kind of goes beyond the Slimehouse kind of discussion, but it seems like they could have gone almost like a Tales of the Crypt route. I just watched Demon Knight, which is part of the Tales of the Crypt franchise, where really only the intro and the outro of that movie are Tales of the Crypt branded, so to speak, with the Crypt Keeper introducing the movie and here's a tale from the crypt. And then they have a movie that doesn't really have anything to do with Tales of the Crypt. But then at the end, they say, and that was Tales of the Crypt. And to me, that's, you know, it's fun. It's a fun movie in its own right. And it still feels the spirit of that Tales of the Crypt series. And they could have also, another direction they could have gone is kind of The Conjuring does this as well. You know, they have the original Conjuring series. In The Conjuring franchise, you have the main three two or three movies with the warren family but then you have these spin-offs of all these different cases they've explored the annabelle movies the curse of la la rona you know there's all of these other pretty successful movies that you know are within this conjuring universe but still feel very separate and i feel like they could have done something really cool with goosebumps here and doing that um i actually really liked the second one but i do agree that it wasn't necessarily the right way to build a franchise out of it 
Would you guys say that the Goosebumps literature series got slimified in these film versions? Or was the Goosebumps kind of book series and television series, was it already slimy to begin with? I'd say that the television series is definitely slimy. When Max had told me that you were doing a Goosebumps episode, I figured it might just be about the TV show, but I forgot this is all movies. The title sequence is Key Slime House is just dripping with slime, literally on the screen. <laughs> Love it. And the dog barking during the theme song, too. It's got to add on to it. But I feel like just the individual stories are just so, like, this is something a kid would think was scary. So it's kind of like the kid-focused aspect of it is what makes it especially slimy, especially during the time it was written and released. Yeah, I definitely think that Goosebumps, the movie, might be slimier. But with as many books as R.L. Stein wrote in this franchise I just looked it up there's apparently at this point 235 which is insane <laughs> it really just depends on the book how slimy he got there were some Goosebumps books that would be kind of super serious I think that tends to be the earlier ones like Welcome to Dead House was the first one which is a, a super dark story and The Haunted Mask is really dark Don't Go Into the Basements another really dark one but Along the way, he would put in some very slimy installments. There's a, a, a series called Monster Blood in which the actual, like, the titular Monster Blood is depicted on the covers, at least. It's just a green slime that's just sort of random, wacky, somewhat scary hijinks happening because of this substance called Monster Blood. And then there were a lot of sort of comedic ass of uh, books there's the one about bees there was one called like piano lessons can be murdered that always sort of were more comedic than the others so i'd say the the books were very slimy but it completely depended on which one you were reading the movie just sort of went full slime with the whole thing interesting having seen this after a whole bunch of Halloween classic movies, at least Halloween classic PG movies, because this actually borrows a lot of tropes from the quote Halloween movie combined with kind of Slimehouse tropes. And it feels like the movie is Slimehouse in a very different way than perhaps the, the TV show was, which did feel Slimehouse, but I feel like the movie's almost taking the template of these Halloween movies we've watched, it, it borrows a lot from Casper Hocus Pocus and some of these other ones and falls very narrowly into that world. And maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think in particular, this takes a lot from the Monster Squad, especially in that it's just this misfit gang of kids, not as misfit as they are in Monster Squad, but still a new kid in town, the sort of girl that's a girl that doesn't really go out much and this nerd character named Champ or Chump as they call him in the movie. It's just them teaming up against the gang of monsters and it ends, it has a, it's, it has a lot in common with the Monster Squad and it's a very intense sort of action scene as the climax without many jokes in it. Both movies sort of share that, Goosebumps 1 and 2. And I think this shares a lot with that and it's just these team of misfit kids sort of teaming up to fight a world-ending problem. A very, it's much more, it's sort of an intense conflict compared to something like Casper when it's a personal conflict. Totally. 
one thing we haven't talked about yet is that the two movies take place in different parts of the East Coast. In my opinion, the setting of each of these two movies definitely connects both of them to Hocus Pocus, one of our earlier pumpkin slimes. And the first film is set in Madison, Delaware. And I don't think there's too many Halloween-y set pieces, or I don't think the, the movie really amps up the whole Halloween town aspect like Hocus Pocus does in Salem, Massachusetts. But the second film is set in Arl Stein's hometown of Warncliffe, New York. And in that that is a lot like Salem, Massachusetts, where the there's a lot of festive... Uh, Halloween antics and when the monsters come out in the second film it's there's like a scene where the mother character sees the headless horseman and assumes that it's just the best Halloween costume of the night which I thought was pretty hocus pocusy if you will yeah the small town setting I know we, we talked about it a lot with three of these movies actually monster squad hocus pocus and Casper and I think it's become clear that New England is such a perfect setting for these movies because I think you can really show the autumn really well in these movies. It, it like if you if these movies took place in California, it would just kind of feel like any time of year. But there's such a Halloween atmosphere in on the East Coast with the leaves changing and all those fall colors that it just puts you right into that setting of this is Halloween there's some spooky stuff about to go down, which which I think is a very good point, Jared, that you bring that up, that those all kind of connect. I almost want to do like a pumpkin slime quiz where it's like, which Halloween movie are you? Do you live in? And it's like, A, Salem, Massachusetts, B, Camden, Maine, C, Wardenclyffe, New York, because I feel like it's so funny that it's almost like Mad Libs fill in the blank with what town we're in. Yeah, and something else interesting is I feel like most of them involve people coming from bigger cities to these yeah. small towns. And I think that's because they're being kind of thrust into these spooky worlds. And I think small towns have much more spooky potential than like a big city does. Like, mm-hmm. I, you don't really see spooky movies set in New York and Chicago or anything. But in these old towns, you got old buildings and sort of local folklore. So it yeah. kind of lends itself better to that. I think we talked about that in the Hocus Pocus one, too. We but... did, yeah. Fish out of water. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, another trope, just kind of on that note, just so it's out in the air, that I think is really key here is the new kid in town. Uh, three of these movies that we've watched this Halloween season are about you know the new kids in town, Hocus Pocus, Casper, and now the first Goosebumps. This, the, the Goosebumps 2 is actually there. They've... Uh, the the girl's about to leave town to go to college. But I think that that, again, I think as Nelson said in a previous episode, it just gives you something easy to sympathize with, and it it, it raises the stakes much higher uh, for these characters. Which So, I mean, at this point, it kind of feels a little tired after watching four of these movies in a row <laughs> with you. But I, I totally understand what it, why it's there. Jared, what do you got? Um, it's, it's a good thing you bring up the second film, being about the main character wanting to get away and her trying to leave for college. And that I think um, one of the things that comes with Slimehouse Revival is I think it is targeted for a slightly older audience, this Neo-Slime, than the Slimehouse of the peak, the ooze era. And one trope that we haven't seen yet, but it shows up in Goosebumps 2, is 
the main character is trying to get into a good college and the, one of their big conflicts in the film is trying to write this good uh, application essay. Um, another recent movie that does this is, I think it's the second of the two Kissing Booth movies that came out this summer. <laughs> and yeah, Joey King is trying to write this perfect college essay. And I think at the end of the movie, in both of these movies, they get into their first school of choice. Of course. Um, so I think that's just, that's a neo slime trope rather than a uh, peak slime trope. But I think that speaks to how the target audience of these different eras of slime house is just subtly different. I think it's so appropriate in the second movie, like you're saying with the application essay trope <laughs> that uh, she's from that little small town. So she's like, I don't know, mom, there's nothing remarkable about my life. I feel so boring because I'm from this tiny town. I'm just some smart girl living in this tiny town. What do I talk about? I feel like, going back to what Jasper said a minute ago too, I feel like uh, there's such a trope with the new kid in town about them being from a bigger city and it being kind of like a threatening place in comparison to the small town. So like kind of foreshadowing, like nothing spooky can happen in this town because the real threat is New York city where all the crime goes down, baby. (laughs) Because I feel like at one point champs, like he picks the lock on who at that point is Mr. Shivers basement door and champs like, where'd you learn that from New York? And he's like, no, YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. I forgot that joke, but yeah, a that's a good line. one. <laughs> the, I want to just give credit to the first movie has so many great one-liners like that. And I'll, oh, I'll, yes. I'll share a favorite of mine that is going to play close to home to us box office lovers. Oh, and, I have it written down. <laughs> and, and of course, of course, where R.L. Stein is like, I'm an author that sold over 400 million books. And then Champ says, domestic? And he says, yeah, that's no, a good worldwide. job. worldwide. It, it's, it's still a big number. <laughs> I like that they build in like the whole Stephen King feud that even continues in the second movie. I think that's a very funny <laughs> gag they put in there. It also connects with the multiple Stephen King references that Jared brought up the last episode. This is the third movie out of the five we've watched that referenced Stephen King being a horror master which obviously is but three and four sorry this is the fourth movie that has referenced stephen king as as a horror master i stand corrected yeah interestingly enough i feel like these like our original slime house move like this is the latest move we've talked about the ones from sort of the original wave we talked about were closer to the the earlier stephen king phenomenon and this one sort of connects with the the later Stephen King phenomenon of it, especially the second one, which has both a direct it uh, reference and stars one of the kids from the it remake. And it just, uh, yeah, I feel like these kind of are playing off of the, the new sort of brand new Stephen King phenomenon off of shows like Castle Rock and the new Pet Cemetery, the new it especially, which is one of the highest grossing horror movies of all time, I think now. And it's just sort of interesting to see how both the Slimehouse revival is kind of going on at the same time as this Stephen King revival. I feel like the movie's kind of hyping up R.L. Stein. I feel like he said, okay, you can make a Goosebumps movie, but one, I get to do a cameo (laughs) in each movie in the franchise, and two, you have to really like talk me up. I just sound really scary to these kids because one, they compare him to Stephen King, which no offense to R.L. Stein, but Stephen King's like an adult horror writer. Um, very horrific and very successful. Not that Earl Stein isn't also, but also that 
there's this running joke of the abominable snowman of Pasadena that it's like the scariest book that Champ's ever read for the first like 30 minutes of the movie. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, what's he say at one point? He says like his grandma lived in Pasadena and after he read that book, he had to stop visiting her. Like... <laughs> yeah, he said he couldn't go back. Which if you've read Abominable Snowman of Pasadena, not even one of the scarier Goosebumps books. Maybe Champ's just supposed to be shown as a coward. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah, because he, he is the most cowardly character. Maybe we can just talk about Champ, because I <laughs> love Champ. I think yeah. he's one of my favorite characters we've ever seen in these movies. And it's that's a genuine love. He cracks me up, and he's just he's so committed to whatever his kind of nerdy antics and feared of, <laughs> scared of his own shadow persona are, and it cracks me up. Yeah, he's such a perfect sort of Slimehouse character, and I feel that he's like both this comedic sidekick nerd who thinks he's a ladies' man, which I feel like is a character we haven't really seen that much yet in our movies, but I feel like that's something you'll see in a lot of these Slimehouse movies, is a sort of dorky character that thinks he's much cooler than he is. And I think the actor, I'm not sure his name, but he... He, he has a very Anthony Michael Hall energy. Which <laughs> yeah, is he has a very good sort of Slimehouse face, good Slimehouse reactions. I think this, I mean, it's been a few years now, and I don't know what he's been in, but this kid has a real Slimehouse vibe to him. I feel like he could be a Slimehouse star. His name is Ryan Lee. Ryan Lee. He's also in Super 8, although he doesn't get nearly as much time to shine in that one. There's actually, there's a really good line in the movie, This is 40, the Jed Apatow movie, where... I believe it's Paul Rudd. Don't quote me on it. So Paul Rudd's kid daughter, I think, has gotten made fun of by um, this kid at school. So Paul Rudd just yells at his mom. I'm sorry that your kid looks like Tom Petty. (laughs) That doesn't mean he needs to be mean. (laughs) That's really good. (laughs) Dang. But that's a a deep cut for, for the Tom Petty heads. Happy birthday, Tom. It's actually Tom Petty's birthday today. <laughs> is, is the kid Ryan Lee in that movie? Yeah, Ryan Lee. Oh, okay. Yeah. The only gag I remembered, and I actually remembered it being, it, it played really funny the first time I watched it, and it was only kind of funny the second time, but probably because I loved it the first time, and it's when they're all like, okay, they're in the grocery store, and they're like, don't everybody be quiet, and then he opens the soda and like that's how the werewolf sees them and just his face is perfect and just this kind of cluelessness that they play really well with I, it's just a it's a genuine laugh I, it's it's great that's another slumhouse trope that happens either before or after that i'm not sure if i remember when they're in a room with a certain monster can anyone remember what monster it was and he knocks over the lamp when they're trying to be quiet i think it was the abominable snowman oh so two different gags under the same idea that's right he does it twice i the soda opening cracked me up more but it's the same idea of everyone's like okay shh and then he can't do it yeah and they gave him a very sort of like shrill high-pitched scream which i feel like is a very slime house gag to have sort of very have like a a male character with a very high-pitched scream i feel like that shows up in a lot of these movies his wardrobe twice tells everything we need to know about the character of champ when he's introduced and he's like stumbling down the bleachers and wearing a shirt says this kid is cool with two thumbs up towards his face i knew he was gonna be the cut up yeah. And then when he wore the then when he wore the suit to the dance that like is so outdated and like ill fitting. Yeah. And another I'll... new suit getting wrecked. <laughs> oh, there you go. I also love that his name Champ is kind of a or I took it as kind of a nod to Chunk 
from the Goonies, hmm. um, who also is kind of the you know the larger, goofier kid in that movie. It might not be at all, but I t- I took it as a loving ode. I feel like the f- the funny kid being referred to by like a one name nickname is definitely a slime housey kind of trope for sure. For even sure. outside the even outside of Goonies, you got you got Chunk, you got Fat Kid in the Monster Squad, and uh, to get into what we we'll get into a little bit later, you have Robes in Max Keeble's Big Move. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll give you one more. Uh, goggles in Rebound. Oh yeah, oh, Goggles. Yeah. <laughs> Gus Hoffman shout out. There's a lot of weight put on names in this movie. Like, um, Zach and Hannah both seem pretty um, unimportant. But then if you're a Stan, Stein Stan, if you're a Stein Stan, then you know that those are both some of the most common names used for the characters in his books. Yeah, R.L. Stein constantly uses the name Hannah. If there's going to be, like, a female character in any of his books, they're probably named Hannah. And honestly, like... I haven't read any interviews with the writers or directors of this, so I don't know how intentional that is, but I definitely took it as sort of a, a reference that they named the main character in Goosebumps Hannah when literally like every other R.L. Stein book has a character named Hannah. <laughs> Talking about Zack and Hannah's romance, kind of, it, it reminded me a little bit of kind of a reverse Casper romance. So in Casper, you have Christina Ricci's character, Cat, who falls in falls in love with this ghost, Casper, and then he turns into a real boy for about 10 minutes. They have their dance, and he disappears, and, you know. Casper has to go back to being a ghost. Yeah. And he he meets Wendy. (laughs) (laughs) In this, you have Zach, played by Dylan Minnette, who falls in love with Hannah, the girl next door, who turns out is a ghost the whole time and has to become a ghost again in the climax but then in the resolution spoilers press pause if you haven't seen the movie is rl stein writes her back into a real person so it's almost this like reverse idea of that gothic casper romance that you brought up max which i think is really really interesting and i'm wondering if they borrowed that from casper or if she's an actual character in the goosebumps books but i thought it was i thought actually their their kind of their narrative was kind of really nice and kind of beautiful in a weird way. Yeah, I think the character of Hannah might be directly based on the character from The Ghost Next Door, which is a Goosebumps book I I must admit I haven't actually read, so I'm not sure exactly how close it plays to that, but there is a Goosebumps book where one of R.L. Stein's many Hannahs plays a ghost that like lives next door to a kid. But like I said, I haven't read the books. So I don't know how close it plays to that. But I don't think that it's like a romance in the book. So I think that's completely part of the movie. Going on the neighborhood, too, I think the parental figures and adults in these movies are very slimehouse as well. You have, in the first movie, you have a single mom. And obviously, I think in every movie we've watched, aside from Monster Squad, there's been a single parent or parents who are overworked and not getting along. So that familial trouble is definitely alive and present in these goosebumps. I love the kooky ant character, though. I, I think that that's a, a trope we have to keep keep an eye on. I was actually writing that down. I thought that could be a new slime house trope. It seemed very appropriate. Just that she wanted... I found it charming that the both his mom and his aunt embarrassed him, but he wasn't really mean to them. And I feel like that's really common. If your parent isn't mean, they're embarrassing you. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think this movie, a major thing I noticed about sort of the slime house ness of it is the mom was one of the... We talked about it in Monster Squad, some with the principal, kind of an adult authority figure. And I mean, she's the vice principal, so she's kind of in the same position. Authority figure that tries to be hip, tries to relate to the kids, and then is always embarrassed by it. Because, I mean, you have... A few times in the first Goosebumps, the son character is embarrassed by his mom. Most specifically, at one point at an assembly, she makes some sort of twerking joke. She makes some reference to twerking, and just sort of the whole audience laughs at her and just kind of like roasts her for that. And that feels very Slimehouse that you have an adult using the modern slang. And um, another way in which adults interact uniquely in these movies, both Goosebumps 1 and Goosebumps 2, I think it's a triple C more and more, is the awkward flirting between these grown adults in their 30s or 40s. In Goosebumps 1, you have the aunt we talked about, played by Jillian Bell, and she's flirting with Jack Black's R.L. Stein throughout the film. And in the second movie, the uh, mom character has this flirty relationship with the pharmacy clerk, Walter, who gets turned into a monster. So both these movies have that just kind of like really awkward parental, single parent, single adult romance that happens kind of in the side, kind of in the background, in the periphery. Yeah, I definitely noticed the kind of single adults flirting and very clearly made single. So there's some antics to happen. It actually reminded me a little bit of the parent trap and the the Mm -hmm. butler and the maid and how they kind of are like, oh, I'm single. Oh, you're cute. You know, and just kind of it's fun for the whole family oh good good reference i totally forgot about that it feels like in a lot of these slime house movies adult romance is sort of played for laughs i think just sort of how we've talked about adults are always kind of the laughing stock of these movies since they're targeted towards kids where adults flirting is seen as very awkward and funny they always like are very corny and that's supposed to be funny and the romance within the younger characters is usually taken pretty seriously for the most part yeah, the romance between the younger characters, like, their flirting is based on, like, their struggles and what they have in common, but then it seems like whenever adults are flirting, it's made into being something, like, awkward or boring, like, the fact that they're awkwardly stumbling over their words when they're talking about how she's buying adult diapers for the nursing home she works at, <laughs> and how she clarifies, uh, no, I use a toilet, uh, these aren't mine. Like, it's kind of showing, like, oh, adults are so weird, they have nothing to talk about, so that's what they flirt about. Like, kids, you know, the whole world's in front of us. <laughs> Thanks for checking me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually forgot that in both movies there's a single mom, um, which is which is pretty crazy and goosebumps too she's this overworked single mom which is just double whammy of parental caricatures slimehouse caricatures i was going to bring up the one more adult character trope in goosebumps 2 exclusively which is the overly decorative neighbor that's (laughs) um and played by an actor that i feel like will be a staple in any future neo slime movies we talk about uh, ken jong it's ken jong being ken jong and it's it's pretty funny yes ken jong is in a bunch of neo slime and i feel like he's kind of carrying the banner forward into the 2010s and check out his 2020 lineup it is slime central yeah i know i know he's in my spy (laughs) (laughs) ken jong is i think a good example too of one of those actors who got 
his fame and like a raunchier adult comedy. I mean, The Hangover and a couple of other kind of late thousands hits. And then he probably, you know, adults probably just were like, eh, his shtick's old. Put him in the kids' movies and the kids think he's hilarious. So, yeah. And now he's on The Masked Singer, which is a great show in its own right. Yeah. But I, the one thing I loved about Ken Jeong's character that, that leads into another kind of hallmark trope is his craft closet in the basement <laughs> really kind of hammered home. And I'm actually very happy that this, this happened, and especially in Goosebumps 2, because Goosebumps and Goosebumps 2 could have gone really kind of digital with their references. They could have done a lot of jokes about iPhones and apps, and they could have had the kids texting and doing all these kind of tech kind of things. But they really went hard on the DIY crafting and props and building these contraptions that you see a lot in the 90s and thousands slime house stuff that is built from things around your house and i think that that really for me when i saw that i was like oh my god like this is firmly rooted in the classic slime house spirit it in taking that idea of kids can do it kids can build it kids can save the world and really hammering that home and that kind of diy crafting and science fair project narrative really really spoke ring true to me yeah i i love a good montage and that that's maybe one of the highlights of goosebumps too is when he says i've got all the good stuff and then cut to montage even though their costumes were kind of lame if i'm being honest according to the imdb trivia these costumes were meant to reference halloween 3 season of the witch but I'm not too sure about that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a ghost, like a pumpkin and a witch, which are the costumes in Halloween 3, but also, like, the three most generic Halloween costumes possible. So I don't know if that's necessarily a direct reference. On, on, the, on the idea of, like, costumes and monsters, especially in Goosebumps 2, and I know they're all Goosebumps references, but I loved the creature effects. I thought there was some rad monsters and especially in Goosebumps 2, that I was just so entertained just every corner. There's some, like, cool new thing cropping up, even down to the, like, Halloween baskets that come to life, you know, when he turns on the Tesla machine, like the, the cackling Frankenstein plastic bucket. I just loved all those little details. Uh, I was just going to say, something I thought was super fun about Goosebumps 2 in particular, like you were saying, is the way they incorporated the Goosebumps characters, I think was really cool and that they were licensed Goosebumps Halloween costumes that came to life when he brought to life all the Goosebumps things. I thought that was a fun, very meta way to bring those characters into the movie when the movie was much less explicitly about Goosebumps than the first and was more just about the idea of Halloween coming to life. I feel like there was near the climax moment they're talking about with when they started making the costumes and the montage i feel like slime house in general and both of these movies had a moment near the climax where there was an emotional build-up of we can do this you know the world's against us but i'm feeling really confident and then like one character like looks at something and turns back and says i've got an idea which is exactly <laughs> what zach says in the first one when he turns around and sees the explosives box at, at the school <laughs> i feel like it's such as like Kids need a cue of when, like, you know, they're going to take over the situation. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah, for sure. Gnomes? Maybe they're friendly. Oh. Not friendly. Definitely not friendly. <laughs>
And with that, do we maybe kind of want to move into our, our slimiest moments? Since we're going on to talking about very slimy moments in the movie, talk about some oh, of the slimiest moments in this movie. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Oh yeah, we can go. Yeah, into let's trope just do time. some. We don't have to go to the slimiest, but let's just do we're some like halfway tropes. through tropes. Let's right some now, tropes. So let's, let's keep going. I have a few I have like highlighted on my notes. Yeah, same. We yeah. got a lot of tropes already, but we can move into a more official trope. Do we want to? <laughs> how about this? We do since I'm guessing we all have a ton of tropes. We do a little bit more rapid fire than usual. Okay, yeah, yeah I like that. that. I got a lot. So can... I got too many. <laughs> okay, so how do we want to do this? Do we want to do like a 15-second limit per So trope? just describe it. Describe what it is, but not like, Don't, like how it about fits it. into Slimehouse or whatever. Sure. Yeah, and All we'll right. see what... Yeah. Okay, so Dorothy, you start off. Okay, we've got the realization phase when Zach sees the case of explosives. We've got the Rube Goldberg machine when they destroyed the monsters on the bus. Oh, oh wait, let's do... Let's go around. Just a, one, one per person. Okay. And then we'll just keep going. Oh, one do one person? and then go to Jared. We'll do clockwise. So okay, we'll then I'll Jared. do my favorite one. I'll say the loser gets the girl when Champ gets to kiss the popular girl that had bullied him earlier. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah. All right. And then I'll go next. I think another big one is in the first film, Jack Black is very much framed as this scary neighbor at first. And we see that a lot in Slime House. Monster Squad had that with the older neighbor who is the Holocaust survivor. And then Home Alone, of course, is the most obvious example of that. Uh, a big one in this, I think, is something you see in, you see particularly highlighted in the trailers for a lot of these Slimehouse, but it was in both of these, where there's a unassuming monster. In the first one, it's the garden gnomes. In the second one, it's the gummy bears. And one of the characters will be like, oh, they're cute, they're harmless, they're friendly. And then they'll do something like the gummy bears bare their teeth, and I think the garden gnome throws something. And then the character will kind of like pause and be like, Oh, not friendly, and then they'll start running. I feel like that's a, <laughs> a common joke in a lot of these movies. <laughs> Mine was actually going to be junk food references, and it being a Halloween movie, there's a ton of candy, but there's also some Pringles and Red Bull references. But since you kind of covered that in the Gummy Bears, Max, a big slimy trope, I think, is underwear jokes, and especially in Goosebumps 2, when Slappy magically pulls down the bully's underwear and he's wearing like banana boxers, which is not that funny, but to a eight-year-old, it's probably hilarious. I think just pants falling down in general, which we also saw in Casper when the, the uncles chopped down Bill Pullman's pants to see his silly underwear is a big, uh, <laughs> big trope in Slimehouse. Yeah, the bully's getting kind of what a taste of their own medicine is very big in the second one. And... Riding on bikes, the Slimehouse vehicle of choice. <laughs> and I'll add that in the first one, there's a moment where in the grocery store, the werewolf snot that slowly ah. drips down Jack Black's face and he has to stay quiet even though it's, ew, gross. <laughs> yeah. Gee, that was fun. Let's do a second round of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was great, <laughs> Okay, I've got the party scene where the protagonists don't party. You know, Hannah's never been to school before, so she says, wow, I've never been to a school dance before. This looks like so much fun. Too bad I can't have fun tonight. <laughs> yes, the most recurring theme. Who would have ever thought the party that the protagonists don't participate in? Also, that looks like a rave for high Yeah, school. it's oddly specific, and I don't think high schoolers would be having that much fun. I think they'd go for obligation. And act like they're too good for it. <laughs> but then in the second one, they the kids actually go to like a full-on club. 
And I was like, I don't, these kids are like 17. I don't think these kids are going to like a like a 18 and under club like this. Same trope. Yeah, it was like an EDM show or something. It's like where the, the main character in the second one like finds out their boyfriend is cheating on them at this EDM club called the Den. But yeah, it, that's like that's college, not high school. Yeah, that's like that's like that's like and in boarding like, college, New York. Yeah, that's like Riverdale. Yeah. That's Riverdale High School. That's not not real high school. Which Jared, is you're at. Yep, I'm gonna do in the first film again the missing parent. I think in the first film, especially, there's more emphasis on Dylan Minnette and his relationship with his dad who passed away. And that helps him connect with uh, Jack Black's Earl Stein over the course of the film, who also feels like he's missing a connection in life, which is why he created Hannah. Uh, yeah, I think another, this might have been super specific, but one that in the first movie in particular is uh, the point, we've talked about it before, the Rube Goldberg machine that makes sort of the bomb go off at the end of the first one the abominable snowman he like pulls open the ice cream truck he sees the bomb ticking down and he sort of pauses for a second he's like "Uh uh-oh and then it blows (laughs) up i know i think it was jasper that mentioned that in the hocus pocus there was a scene with billy butcherson but yeah that was definitely present in the in that especially the fact that it was the abominable snowman which is sort of a an oafish character already that delivered yeah, the line. <laughs> that might be my favorite trope is the oh, yeah. <laughs> My next one is pretty common is bumbling law enforcement. I feel like in all these movies police are just really inept and maybe it's true all cops are bad, but uh, in a different way. They're just bad they're just they're bumbling. All cops are bumbling. <laughs> yeah i think i've mentioned i, I think I've Sorry, mentioned let, me, <laughs> let me let me rephrase yeah. that <laughs> slime house says a cow i did say like, something real quick talking about the cops i've always sort of <laughs> joked in these episodes about how Slimehouse is, is what radicalized the young our generation, and I feel like maybe that's part of it—the anti-cop agenda of you got rich villains and you've got anti-cop. Agenda. One of my Slime. favorite, one of my favorite tweets ever says something like, "Scooby-Doo really taught me that behind every villain is just a white guy trying to get more rich." And I thought, oh, that's very, very funny. (laughs) I think that goes with the probably unsaid trope that nobody believes the kids and the kids know everything that the adults don't know. But I did like the angle of there being a cop in training in this one and how she just kind of, that allowed for some more hijinks and antics. My trope is one we haven't seen yet, but I think we're going to see a lot. And that is when a character runs into a glass surface or wall and then like knocks them out and then their face slowly slides down the glass in this case the abominable snowman in the first goosebumps quite good do we have enough ammunition for a final round that was fun let's do that again (laughs) all right right, one more round uh we've got the emasculation humor uh the example here is when his wacky aunt makes him a bedazzled denim hat (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah that's oh yeah uh-huh. and and when the when champ says are you going to the dance you know you we should we should go together oh no not together and it's like you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Good, good one. Yeah, I, that emasculation humor is so funny that that's like such a trope. But I mean, all these movies are, I guess, catered to twelve-year-old boys. So I saved my best one for last. This is the slimiest moment between the two movies for me. Nice. It's when the younger brother in the second film, played by the actor who plays Ben in It, Chapter One, he goes to a show and tell in class and presents his tesla project and it goes absolutely haywire and electrocutes a classmate and makes them look like marv and home alone 2 when he gets electrocuted and then it like creates a hole in the wall and just something about the show and tell is so Mm. slime housey and there's a movie we'll we'll eventually talk about called monkey trouble war that we have a show and tell scene but it's just slime house movies really capture that anxiety of the show and tell (laughs) in my opinion Slimehouse movies make it seem like show and tell is like the only thing kids ever do in school. Like, mom, what am I going to bring to show and tell? Yeah, I feel like maybe at my school we did it like once and I brought in some toy. <laughs> but in these movies, you'd think it's like their final grade based on how cool their, their show and tell is. Then the girl who gets her face blown up says something like, today's picture day or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a real yeah. good gag. A real good like line there. My trope this is my for my last one is... Uh, We've talked a lot of before about how a lot of these movies have double entendres and innuendos, I guess, to kind of appeal to the older people watching it. And Nelson brought up earlier, there's this cop in training character, but there's one line where she's in Jack Black's house, sort of thinking whether trying to decide whether to arrest him or not because the main character thinks he might be holding his daughter hostage and abusing his daughter, which is pretty dark for the movie. But yeah, yeah, he thinks that she's abusing the daughter, and so he plays audio over his speakers to show he's just watching a horror movie, and he says, like, I didn't know being an audiophile was a crime. And she sort of, like, (laughs) reaches for a gun, and it's like, a what file? And they have to, like, calm her down, which I feel like is a classic sort of double entendre for the adults in these Slimehouse movies, which feels like something that a lot of these movies will try to put in humor for the parents. My next one is actually most prevalent in Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween. There's a plethora of pop culture references in there, and a lot of them are really small. You have all the you have all the Goosebumps dolls on Sonny's bed when he's talking to Slappy. Slappy turns his action figures into a Mortal Kombat reference, so they fight each other like it's a Mortal Kombat video game. There's even a psycho reference at the end of the movie when, uh, press pause for spoilers, Slappy turns his mo- uh, Sonny's mom into a dummy and he says, turn her back, you psycho, because he just, he, he has a mother trouble, like a Hitchcock psycho. So yeah, there's just these like little, little pop culture references sprinkled all through it that feel very, very slimehound. I think we've covered most of the the best ones. I noticed the second one has a portal that goes to the sky, which is just kind of in every movie ever these days, like Avengers and all these other ones. But my Slimehouse trope, which I'm not sure is a trope, but I, I'm going to just invest in this one because I think we're going to see it again, where a character somehow is pushing another character in like a grocery cart or something like that to escape they have to get out fast and so yeah when he dylan minette pushes jack black in a grocery cart to escape and it just felt that <laughs> that setup and that kind of blocking felt very slimy no i agree for sure i've seen that i think <laughs> i just <laughs> yeah. can't name it off the top of my head but i think we yeah you all will see that in the future mm-hmm. 
All right. Do we want to go into some slime scores for the movies? Oh, do we want to do some slime scores? Definitely. Okay, cool. I'll start with mine. Um, I'd say that for the first movie, I'd give it 8 out of 10 because I feel like it stays true to the original Slimehouse genre. It doesn't give into the retro feel that a lot of reboots would today. It's marketed for the kids. And I'd say because the second one's kind of a retread, I'd say it also falls at a, under 8 out of 10. I will give the first Goosebumps an 8 out of 10 as well. And it's a high 8. I feel like at times it's maybe a little ac- more action-y than some of it. But I think the humor is all there. And it, it really does feel like back to solid slime house. This is kind of right in the wheelhouse. And I'm going to give the second one a six because I feel like it's got a lot of the same slime components, but not as much of the humor. I feel like the maybe it's just because the humor isn't as good, but we're missing a character like Chump who really helps sell the slime component. Actually, you know what? I'm going to give it a seven because it, it is mostly slime house. It just to me, it, it does feel just a little lesser than and not just in the quality of the movie, but also just it doesn't have as well-crafted of humor it doesn't have as many memorable laugh out loud moments that to me would qualify it but it still is slime house so i'm going to go with a, a seven for the second one i've actually gone back and forth on the first one um kind of teetering between a seven and an eight the reason being i i i see the first one on a very similar plane as hocus pocus and casper which i gave a seven i think there is kind of a heightened there's there's a little bit of sentimentality in this movie but there's also kind of nelson you hit it on the head too there's 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 a more larger focus on kind of the action and the plot of that movie um which i think doesn't allow it to go as kind of balls to the wall as i think a true kind of just zippy slime house movie is so i'm actually going to keep it at a very very high seven and i'm actually going to Flip Nelson's Goosebumps and Goosebumps 2. I actually think Goosebumps 2 is slimier than the first. And I'm going to give it an 8. Just because the humor in that movie, I agree it's not as funny, but to me it's so much more visual and just gag-based than the first one, where in the first one it's a lot more verbal. It's a lot more zippy in terms of the script. In Haunted Halloween, they don't have the star power of Jack Black to rely on, so they just have to make the humor very gag-based and, and kind of gr- it's much more gross movie too. You have a lot more gooey characters. You have the whole gummy bear scene, which for my money might be the slimiest scene in both movies. I'm gonna pop off with a nice solid eight for Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween. Yeah, I think I gotta kind of go with Jasper. I think that Haunted Halloween is the slimier sequel. I think it sort of, like Jasper was saying, relies more on gross-out humor. There's a pee joke where sort of a, a, <laughs> a, a skeleton dog pees on somebody. And it's just way more about the antics. I feel like the first one is by no means like a, a as serious as something we've talked about in the past, such as Casper, or I think it's a much more somber film, or even Haunted Mansion. It's probably a more serious movie. This movie is a comedy but i think the first one is more focused on sort of the the lore and the storyline and on the characters the second one is just kind of gag after gag with just like a hyper nerdy kid as like your your protagonist and all this so yeah i'd say goosebumps 2 gets an 8 for me and i'd say goosebumps 1 gets probably pretty close to that but i'd say maybe a 7 is what i'd go with just because it's a little more serious than 
number two is. And for me, I gotta be honest, I don't really consider one of these two movies slimier than the other. I think they're just, they're slimy in maybe some subtly different ways. But one thing I've been thinking about looking back on this pumpkin slime series we've done is that we've done it chronologically. We started with a proto slime movie, Monster Squad, and then we moved into three, the three middle movies of the series, I think are all very peak slime or came out during a peak slime period, um, varying degrees of slime. And this is just a very different kind of slime to me because of, as we mentioned, it's this kind of revival of slime house. It's this neo slime. And I think it's going to be a very, both of these movies really are going to be very useful for studying this kind of new chapter of slime that's developed in the last 10 years. I would round up both of these to an eight personally, because I think Goosebumps one is maybe a little bit more meta and clever and more of like, sort of like a post slime, if you will. Whereas I think Goosebumps two is just more undiluted in the slimy set pieces. But I think both of these are just absolutely the successors to the movies like Casper and that, that kind of peak slime that we were talking about in the middle of the series. And I think it really does have that kind of connection. Solid. No, no higher than eight for anyone, which is interesting. But I think it speaks to our the effectiveness of our ratings that we're, we're kind of all oh, landing yeah. in very similar methods. So I, with that, I think, I think it's all ending slappily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write all these down, Nelson, before? <laughs> no. It's a knee slapper. Ah, <laughs> on the good fly. Too. Um, all, right. So, uh, all right. Well, that puts an end to a very epic month of Slimehouse, the pumpkin slime extravaganza. We had five episodes plus some interviews. We really went to the max on this one. So I just want to, on the, the air, say... Yeah, to the max. Um, so I just want to say on the air that I kudos to everyone for really making this an awesome month of just pure pumpkin slime. Yeah, I think we had some very good movies for our pumpkin our pumpkin slime month. I'm really honored to have helped you all close off the slime house, uh, pumpkin slime, spooktober. <laughs> yeah, it was great yeah, to thank have you. Thank you so much for having yeah. me. We'll have to have come you back, on come back anytime. Again. Yeah. Yes, Real, please. Well, we'll have to have you for Cat in the Hat. I know that. That's <laughs> I was about to say that. I think the slime eater is gonna smash through. I think. Uh-huh. I think. I don't know what we're gonna do. There's gonna be too many tropes to list. There's gonna be new tropes. Yeah, we'll have to have a, yeah. a, a, an epic, a whole, a month, a Cat in the Hat month. Yeah, <laughs> I can talk about it for a month. Five part series. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for following along with us during this spooky slime season. We hope you've discovered some new pumpkin slime. Again, I'm Jared. I'm Max. I'm Jasper. I'm Nelson. And I'm Dorothy. And as they say in Goosebumps 2, Halloween may be canceled, but have a great weekend and wear a mask. Nah. All right. All right. Take it easy, everyone. Stay slimy. Slimehouse, a podcast created by Jared Anderson, Jasper Birnbaum, Max Morris, and H. Nelson Tracy. If you like this episode, you can find more fun on slimehousepod.com. Our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Company. Our theme music composed by Greta Russell. 
Support this podcast at anchor.fm slash slimehousepod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod on all platforms.